So it's the page of the guidebook that says Riddles in the Dark, um, Practicing Applicability with the Hobbit. Okay. And uh, as we jump into this, I'm going to show a scene from The Hobbit for the rest of class. You can pay attention to the lesson that I'm doing, or you can flip in the guidebook to the final exam and work on that while I do this. Your choice. It's okay to double dip. If you're not working on your final exam, then you're joining the fun of the lesson. All right? Um, when we look at your movie that you're doing for your final, or that great novel that you're doing, or that really cool story, or even a historical figure, um, or a hysterical figure, eh? Eh? Eh, whatever. Um, if you've got that awesome musical in mind, that's great. A couple key tools to help with the metaphor. I already said you just got to pick key scenes. Any of them will work unless you've got a bad author. A good author, everything's intentional. The best authors, Everything is intentional. The color, the sentences, the words, the, even down to the punctuation. Right? And so the best filmmakers are going to have intentionality down to the minute detail. So pick a scene, and then I gave you that checklist earlier of things that you can look for. Friends, foes, monsters, right? Why is it there? Intentionality of the scene, lessons learned, etc., etc., etc. Here are a few other tools that will help you with your metaphor journey. All great literature has symbols, metaphors, similes. The great literature has overarching metaphor, which would be a sustained metaphor through the whole story. Paradoxes are almost always embedded within these stories and movies. And there's going to be mythical elements with applicability to your life. And then there's going to be these biblical connections that you can make. And by making biblical connections to the story, even if they're unintended, truth is truth. And so if biblical truth is there and you find it, that often helps them. Easy application to your own life. So that's all there. If your English teachers have not helped you at this point, get those things down. Bless them and go look this stuff up or talk to someone who knows how to work with it. Um, but quite frankly, the mythical element is the basic lesson where all great stories point to the true great story and it clicks for you and you see it like, oh, that's like my life, look at that, or that could be like my life, right? Physical connections are really straightforward. Metaphor is a direct comparison. Simile is an indirect comparison, right? Paradox is a seeming contradiction that still makes sense when you see it from a certain angle. This last one, though, I want to give you is symbols. Now. Hopefully you know what a symbol is at this point in your career. If you're at Wheaton Academy, especially as a Christian, you've got lion and lamb and bread and wine and rainbows and gates and straight and narrow paths and sheeps and goats and armor of God and sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We just live and breathe symbols, right? Yep. Right. What we often miss in our mythical stories, particularly with Christian authors like Tolkien, or many of the Christian cultural authors, like you will see in Hollywood, we forget the fact, this is a shout out to Shakespeare class, that there are public and private symbols. That's actually really important, because often like, oh, you're just reading into that, or oh, that's just a literature teacher, right? And I love it when students say that, because if it's there, am I reading into it? 
Actually, I propose that we're reading out from the text. We're pulling stuff out of the text that's there. If you're adding something to the text to make meaning, well, don't do that. That's awkward, right? But if it's there, you're allowed to do this stuff. Now, when I say stuff like public symbol, if I'm in a public school and I put this on the board, what's just the general meaning of these two lines? What can they mean, symbolically? Addition. Addition. Like a graph? Yeah, x, y axis, right? North, south, east, west on a compass. Crosshairs in a gun. On a map, it's an intersection. It could be a stubby T, right? <laughs> I don't know, lots of different things that it can be. Nice job, class, well done, in a public symbol setting. You go to Ireland, and you even like put green around it, right? What do you have all of a sudden now? It's the Celtic cross, right? All over Ireland, you'll see the Celtic cross. The cross used to be that, and they would put a circle around it to represent you know, wing and infinity. So in Ireland, for Christians, that means what? Jesus. It means Jesus, like it really does. It means the salvation of humanity. Over here it's a plus sign, and over here it's the salvation of mankind through God's gracious forgiveness. That's a powerful symbol, isn't it? And when I read a book like Lord of the Rings, and they've got a chapter in it that's titled The Crossroads, and they have to make a huge decision there, about the fate of Middle-earth? Am I allowed to read down into that? Yes. Oh, totally. Tolkien knows what he's doing. Got it? Or when Aragorn has a sword, and in every other story it's just a sword, but Aragorn got a, has this massive sword. He's the king with a sword that's broken, and the sword of the spirit is the word of God, and now we've got the broken word of God that we need to put back together and put in the king's hand. It sounds like church history, right? we got to piece back together a holistic view of Scripture instead of pulling verses out of context. Thanks for the pass. Got it? So you could just have a broken sword in the story because somebody broke their sword, but in the hands of a Christian author like Tolkien, with a broken sword in the hands of the king means way more, <clears throat> right? Come on, yes or no? Yes. How about when I'm reading Kite Runner and I'm just reading it and I see a crescent moon? I'm like, oh, crescent moon, how pretty. Hmm? Anybody else, especially if you're Muslim and you're reading Kite Runner and you see the crescent moon, is there a difference? Yeah. Oh my gosh, huge difference, right? As a private, private Muslim symbol. So <coughs> this is a big deal. We're going to see one right here in this scene with riddles in the dark. But we've got a creature named Gollum who prowls around in the dark looking for something to devour. That's the sentence that Tolkien writes about it. Anybody recognize that verse? Mm -hmm. Our enemy is a roaring lion prowling around in the dark looking for something to devour. So right there we've got a symbolic connection between Gollum and Bilbo in this scene. And he, Gollum is not the enemy, but he's acting like the enemy. And he's going to eat Bilbo, which is pretty enemy-like behavior, right? Of all the things that Gollum could like to eat, squirrels, rabbits, grubs, what's his favorite? Fish. Broad wriggling, right? So he loves fish. Now it's interesting to me when I go, like when you see this on an ocean that a five-year-old's drawing, what is that symbol publicly? A fish. It's just a fish. 
I was walking through the streets of Oxford and I went to the marketplace looking for some lunch and I literally saw this and this on a sign. It's not a chocolate chip cookie, it's a potato. Right? What were they selling at that little shop? Christians and chocolate chip cookies? No. They were selling fish and chips. I walked in, I was like, is there something a little different here? And there is sold fish and chips. Right? Yet, on half the minivans in Wheaton, do they like fish sticks? Is that what's going We like fish in our van. What's going on? Jesus. It's Jesus symbol. It's the ichthus symbol, which they used to be a secret symbol. They would draw half of it. They would draw the other half. Like, oh, you're a fisher of men, like me, because we follow Jesus, and he taught us to be fishers of men. And so it's a private Christian symbol called the ichthus. It's really cool. Is that a real symbol? Yeah, check this out. The character in Lord of the Rings who prowls around in the dark looking for something to devour, wants to devour Christians. I mean, fish. Yeah. Interesting, right? Now, oh, Mr. D, you're just reading way into it. Actually, I am. And is it there? A hundred percent there. Because Tolkien's a genius. He can do that kind of stuff. Take Shakespeare class and you realize that the great authors can be that intentional. And so when you guys look at your movies, when you're doing your final project here, and you're looking at Nemo or Kung Fu Panda or Hamilton or whatever movie that you're looking at, you know, Les Miserables, right? Whatever story you've got, Moana, oh, it's so good, right? Those movies are packed with symbols. A lot of them are just general public symbols, but can there be private Christian symbols in those movies? Can they be there and the author not even know that they're doing it? Yeah, it's called the Holy Spirit working through a story. Yay. So, super fun. All right. Questions, thoughts, comments, or concerns. We okay? Just making sure you have that tool with you on the journey. So, let's look at this scene from Riddles in the Dark. Is it up there? Oh, no, because I have to plug it in. That would make it hard for it to be up there when it's not plugged in. So he just found the ring. Here, wait, we can back it up right there. Bilbo finds it. Frodo inherits it. We'll talk about that difference a little more this week. Some of us stumble on sin that will destroy us if we don't destroy it. And some of us inherit it from our parents. Yep. (laughs) Happens.
Now, we'll stop at a bunch of things, but I just talked about swords. We just compared it to what? Anybody catch it? The Word of God. I stop this every year. 148 seniors will hear this lesson. Blows me away. It's just a two-minute mini lesson that I'll just drop in your lap right now. Bilbo would be dead without his sword. He would get eaten alive by the enemy in the dark without his sword. And it, it just blows me away how many students think they can go off to college without their Bibles. I'll be fine. Yeah, right. You'll get eaten alive. No offense. I'm not even threatening you. I'm just saying, if you don't have truth, if you don't have the truth, and the enemy comes creeping up on you, what are you going to use to fight off his lies with? Right? I, when I was reading this with my twins, and they were six, and we're reading through it, there was this weird sense of like, what am I doing reading this story? Tolkien, what are you doing writing this story? This is so creepy. He's in this dark cave with goblins everywhere. He's going to get eaten alive on his journey? It's insane. And then I realized, actually, this is a wonderful opportunity to tell my kids about who? God. Huh? God and the truth of the Bible, and also about Satan, who wants to destroy my children. Is he real? Does he want to destroy them and steal, kill, and destroy my kids? Yeah, he's that kind of a jerk. He'll pick on kids. Should I at least make my kids aware of this? Actually, it turned into thank you, Tolkien, for giving me an opportunity to talk to my kids about the reality of an enemy who wants to destroy them and how to fight this enemy off. Bilbo would be dead without the sword. I told my kids, yeah, this is why we study the Bible. This is why I read it to you so you can know the truth and fight off the enemy when things get a little dark, yeah? It's amazing to me how many students will go off to college without their Bibles, without their swords, thinking that they'll be fine. That's just a mini lesson, right? You see the power of symbol, the power of metaphor in the movies and stories that you're watching, yeah? I'm warning you. Don't come any closer. It's got an elvish blade. Does he even know how to use it, by the way? He doesn't even know how to He just at least has it. You know what's interesting is in about two or three days here at the end of the week, I'm going to show you a clip of Aragorn wielding his seven-foot sword. He doesn't just have it. He what? He knows how to use it. I mean, that's really the goal for you. If you have any idea on one of the takeaways from high school from the last four years is have you learned how to use the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, as a weapon? Yes or no? If you haven't, what have you been doing with your time? Right? You've still got some time left. (laughs) Do not go off to college without one. But wouldn't it be great to go off as a warrior, literally like our mascot? Knowing how to wield the sword of truth to fight off lies, to fight off the enemy, that's where we're going by the end of the week. But at least you got to have one. At least do that. But it's not an elf's. Not an elf's meal. What is it, What is it? What is it? My name is Bilbo Baggins. Baggins. 
What is that? Backins is precious. I'm a hobbit from the Shire. Oh, we like goblins as bats and fishes, but we hasn't tried our races before. Is it soft? Is it juicy? No! I'll use this if I have to. I don't want any trouble. Do you understand? Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. Is it lost? Yes. 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 He is lost. lost. In the dark. Oh, we nurse. We know safe paths for our races. Safe paths in the dark. Shut up. <laughs> I didn't say anything. We wasn't talking to you. <laughs> so rich. We, we was precious. We yes, was. we was. I, I don't know what your game is, but I... Games? Oh, we love games, doesn't we, precious? Does it have games? Does it, does it, does it like to play? <laughs> Maybe... As roots as nobody sees. This torrent and trees up, up, up it goes, and yet never grows. The mountain. Let's have another one. Let's have another one. Yes, do it again, do it, do it again, and ask us. No, no more riddles. Finish him off. Finish now. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I, I want to play. <laughs> I do. What? I want to play. I can see. You are very good at this. So, why don't we have a game of riddles? Yes? Just, just, just you and me. Yes. Just. Who else is there? I love it. Just us. Yes, and, and, and if I win, you shall be the way out. Yes. 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 And if he loses, what then? If he loses, precious, then we eat it. If Baggins loses, we eat it whole. What? Like, what kind of story is this? It's crazy. He's going to get eaten alive by the enemy. I, uh, two months ago, I did this lesson for the faculty at one of our in-services, and I showed them this clip, and they're all like, what the heck, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, that specific in-service, we spent an hour and 20 minutes talking about the power of paradox. All the riddles in here are paradoxes. If Bilbo can't solve the riddle, if he can't handle the paradoxes, he gets eaten alive. If he can, he's free to go on his journey. It's intriguing to me. In Matthew 13, 10, we're told that the disciples come to Jesus and say to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Why do you do the stories, right? I mean, if you don't really get Jesus' story, you're thinking that he's giving you a lesson about sheep and goats. Is he talking about sheep and goats? No, so if you don't get it, you're going to miss it. It's interesting, it says... One of the verses says, and from that point on, he only spoke to them in parables. And the Matthew 13 says, you know, it's been given to you to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. There are secrets embedded within these stories, within the paradoxes. 
He says over and over again, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. And he's trying to build a following of people who are willing to solve the riddles, willing to solve the parables. You know, the mini lesson I did with the faculty was just this one, because this isn't the actual lesson that I'm going to do in a few minutes. But the mini lesson here is, if he can't solve the riddle, he gets eaten alive. Is this is why this class exists on a very basic level. I've asked you to come with all the hardest questions that you can. Why is God called healer and I'm not healed? Why is a good loving God allow abuse to happen? Why is he called Jehovah Jireh, it's his name, his provider, and I'm not getting provided for right now. And why is he rescue everybody else over and over in scripture, and right now I'm not getting rescued? Why is he called protector, and I didn't get protected when I was six? Right? If you can't solve those riddles, I hope you don't get literally eaten alive, but I watch it over and over again with my students. What gets eaten alive? Their hope, their dreams, their faith gets crunched on. When the enemy comes uninvited into your room tonight and whispers in your ear while you're trying to fall fall asleep and you can't answer those questions, he's just over there munching on your hope, munching on your peace in the corner, eating you alive, right? When your friend comes to you and is like, I can't be a Christian because of this issue. And you both just get eaten alive, right? If we can't answer the questions in the dark that the enemy brings to us, that the accuser brings to us, when this hits in college and you have to stare the enemy in the face and he's nagging you with this question or this thought or this doubt or this fear... No wonder so many students are chucking their faith. Or maybe never really ever had it. Because they can't what? Answer the riddles that we all have to deal with here in this dark cave of earth, right? Tolkien's a genius. This is allegory of the cave. This is the whole gospel message. Right? We get devoured in our faith, in our hopes, in our dreams, in our identity if we can't answer those riddles. Fair enough? That's not even the lesson. That's just a mini lesson. Thoughts on that? Does that make sense? It's a powerful metaphor. See what Tolkien's doing here. Um, What I want to do is the lesson that kind of is implied with that. What does it take to answer a riddle? Jesus spoke in parables and riddles. Now, grace is not a riddle. You believe Jesus, you're saved. Is that a riddle? No. So that's not it. He's talking about what type of followers are going to actually stick with me. What does it take to really be a disciple of Jesus and hang in there? To a point where, like we heard in chapel, when she referenced Peter, where else would we go, Jesus? I don't quite understand, you know, the eat your flesh, drink your blood thing. Sounds cannibalism and a little funky and weird, kind of freaky. But where else would I go? (laughs) If you can't handle that riddle of communion, which they didn't get the answer to that till a year later. 
you'll probably be one of the ones who walks away, unfortunately. So what does it take to answer a riddle? Ready? What if I locked my door and you guys can't leave my room today? Which isn't really the metaphor. If I killed you, I'd probably get fired, so we won't do that. Right? What if I locked my door and you're not allowed to leave my room unless you can answer my riddle? Let's see what it takes to answer riddles. Now, if you know the answer to this, don't blurt it out. But that's our first lesson if you're writing down what it takes to answer a riddle. What type of disciples is Jesus looking for? The first one is prior knowledge really helps. So if you know the answers to the enemy's questions, what do you do? You throw them in his face and move on, right? If you don't, what does it take? to answer a riddle. So ready? Don't blurt it out if you know it. Who makes it has no need of it. Who buys it has no use for it. Who uses it has no knowledge of it. Anybody got it? Who knows it from prior knowledge? We got one? You guys know it? Three? So that you guys know it. Isn't it nice to not get eaten? You know the answer? Isn't that great? Now we'll let you answer it for the rest of these who are going to be lunch. Yeah. Now ready? Hey, what does it take? Those of you who don't know it, if you wanted to figure this out right now, what does it take? Huh? A bit of thinking. You gotta think, but what kind of thinking? This isn't just your linear thinking here. What? It takes creative thinking, clever, witty thinking. What kind of followers does Jesus want? Ones that'll do what? You're made in the image of a creative God. He wants you to, you've got a brain. What does he want you to do with it? He wants you to use it. He wants you to think. He wants you to think creatively. He wants you to think outside of the box. Actually, the only way you're really going to understand these spiritual truths of being born again, Nicodemus, is you've got to think differently. Or it's just going to sound freaky and weird. Virgins giving birth, being born again eat my flesh and drink my blood. You got to die to live. This stuff doesn't make any sense unless you're allowed, if you're going to allow yourself to think differently, right? What else does it take? This is perfect during first period. Half of them could care less about it. And actually they just get eaten alive. They were tired and didn't want to do it. That's not, nothing against them. It was 8 in the morning. I'm doing a riddle talking about getting eaten alive. But that's half the point. If you don't care about Jesus' riddles, are you going to answer them? Are you going to take the time and energy and focus to figure it out? Are you going to sit through a philosophy class to try and deal with this? Like, no. What kind of followers does Jesus want? He, want ones, he wants ones that what? Actually care. Who are going to be invested. Who are going to commit. Oh, who's got it? Someone who hasn't... Anybody want to give it a shot who doesn't know it? Now, that's another lesson. No offense here. Everybody else wants it again. Is well. Who wants it again? Yeah, we all want it again. What does Jesus say over and over again? He who has ears, let him hear. What does it take to be a follower? You got to what? We've got to listen. And I'll read it again. It's been written down so we can look at it again. But do you even know what Jesus is saying? Are you even listening to the voice of God? Do you even hear what he's saying? That's a big deal. What kind of followers does he want? He wants ones that are paying attention and actually listening. I mean, it's, it's, that's weird. Over and over. He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. Is anybody listening to what I'm saying? Right? Over and over and over again. Ready? 
Who makes it has no need of it. Who buys it has no use for it. Who uses it has no knowledge of it. Now, when we say it, it's going to be totally what? Oh, you want to give it a shot? Now, wait, that's part of the lesson. You want to give it a shot? Part of the lesson is if you get it wrong, you get eaten. But if you don't guess at all, you get what? Most of us just sit around and don't even guess our answers or go for it. Part of it is you got to have courage to at least try to get the answer right. But you had, you want to go first? Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, it's a coffin. Come on, let's give it up. Let's go. Come on. Coffin. Who makes it has no need of it because they're alive. Who buys it has no use for it because they're alive. Who uses it has no knowledge of it because they're what? Clever. Hey, can my five-year-olds get that one? Actually, my kids loved the riddles in this because they were like getting it. Why do often kids get the riddles better than the adults? We all overthink it or we overanalyze it or we have too much things we're trying to do and the kid's just in the riddle and going for it, right? Why does Jesus say, let the children come? The kingdom of God is for such as these. Fair enough? All right, so just to review there, what kind of followers is Jesus looking for? The ones that care, the ones that think, they think differently. Paying attention, (laughs) right? Ones who are engaged, ones who have the courage to give an answer, even if they might get it wrong, right? Because we are covered by grace, and we won't get eaten alive. Let's have the courage. Fair enough. So good. What happens first? Thirty white horses on a red hill. First they champ, then they stamp, then they stand still. Nah, he's not impressed. <laughs> Gonna eat him. I mean, Tolkien is a genius. It's right here on this page. Wingless, sorry, voiceless cries, paradox. Wingless flutters, paradox. Toothless bites, paradox. Mouthless mutters, paradox. Four paradoxes in a row. If you can't handle the paradox, you get eaten alive. I watch it all the time. With the paradoxes of Christianity, people write it off. And their faith gets eaten, or their thoughts get eaten, or their hopes get eaten, or their Christianity gets devoured. Who knows it? Anybody know it? What is it? The wind. Wind. And when we say it, it's like, oh, duh. Right? It's right there. The truth be told, why a good God allows evil? Oh, 
free will and love. I got that. It's, it's, it is that simple. It's not that simple, but is it that simple? Yeah. yeah, it's that simple, and we move on. We're not all, oh, no, and we're, we're lost and getting devoured by that very, very hard question of humanity. Just a minute. Oh, oh, readers, that- readers, shut up. Shut up. So good. It's wind. Go to this. Without hinges, key, or or lid, yet golden treasure inside is hid. <laughs> I remember reading that the first time, and that was so cool. I'm like, ah, oh, what is this? Hello, he's like lid, lid. It's <laughs> nasty. Give up? Give us a chance, precious. Give us a chance. Eggs. Oh. Yeah, it's clever. Alright, now, I only got a few minutes left. Let me finish up this class. Hold on before you put everything away. The next one, which is not in the movie, which is one of my favorite. Alive without breath, as cold as death, never thirsty, ever drinking, all in mail, never clinking. He also thought this was a dreadfully easy one because he was always thinking of the answer, but he could not remember anything better at the moment, right? I love how Tolkien, like, in the book, talks to the author. You're, of course, you could get it as easy as winking since you're sitting comfortably at home in Mr. D's classroom without the danger of being eaten to disturb your thinking, right? And then he's saying, is it crunchable? Is it delicious? And Gollum steps out of the boat and a fish, come on, catch this. A fish jumps out of the water and lands on Bilbo's foot and that's the answer. Is that random chance? And is that a Christian symbol? So here in this dark cave, if you were to read the Silmarillion, you would know that that is not random chance. There's a creator God who's in control of all things. Ilvatar is his name. And this little fish jumps out of the water at just the right time and saves Bilbo's life. The Christian symbol saves his life, and it's the answer to the riddle. Actually, let me just show you how deep we can go with Tolkien. Alive without breath, fish. Cold as death, water in the cave is 55 degrees, which is six feet under. That's why you bury people that deep. It's the cold as death line, 55 degrees. Never thirsty, ever drinking. A fish is always drinking, but it's never thirsty. All in mail, never clinking. So it's got the plate mail armor, but it doesn't make any sound. Is it fish? Got it? Check it out. Guess what Gollum loves to eat? Fish. fish. Well, guess what riddle he speaks of? Look at the riddle for the creature who's prowling around in the dark looking for something to devour and likes to eat Christians. I mean, likes to eat fish. Look at the type of Christians I bet he likes to eat. Alive without breath. Christians who are alive, but they don't have the pneuma, the breath of God, the spirit of God in them. How about Christians who are as cold as death? Yeah, I've met them. I bet you have as well. 
about Christians around here especially who are never really thirsty. They never really hunger and thirst for righteousness, but they're always drinking in all this Christianity stuff. And what about Christians who are all in male? They've got their armor of God, Ephesians 6 on, but it's never clinking. It doesn't make a sound. Why? Because they're never doing anything. And guess which Christians the enemy likes to eat first? Those. Makes you wonder. Is it all there? Go Tolkien? And the Christian symbol jumps out of the water at just the right time and lets him go on his journey? Yes, you can look for all these things in your story and movie as well. Have a great day. You guys are awesome. Don't get eaten. Thank you. See ya. That's your homework. Don't get eaten <laughs> by the enemy. All right, good. Paradoxes to save your life. See ya. What? Oh, yeah. Well, one of the main reasons is allegory. Once you've got it, you've got it. You figured it out. You're done. We're going to talk about this tomorrow with applicability. At, once you go with Pilgrim's Progress, it can't be anything else. But Gandalf could be like my uncle. He could be like Jesus. He could be like the pastor. He could be like St. Francis. He could be like any of them. And that, so the metaphor applicability makes it wider. Yeah. And allegory is great when it does what it's supposed to do. But if you do this, it just locks you in and then people write it off. Applicability is so much more fun. Yeah, they just we're one and done and they don't really care. Oh, if it's not done well, it's just like obvious over. Hello, my friends.